Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. And welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have the outstanding Dr. Arul Thangavel. He's the Vice President of Clinical Strategy at WiserCare. Dr. Thangavel is a practicing internal medicine physician with extensive research, quality improvement, and clinical experience. He completed internal medicine at the University of California in San Francisco, where he also spent time at medical school and graduated with honors. Directly before joining WiserCare, Arul was both an assistant professor of medicine at Georgetown and a foreign affairs officer at the U.S. Department of State. Prior to and during medical school, Dr. Thangavel researched in multiple fields, including human neuroscience, cognitive science, psychiatry, meta-analytic techniques, hospital quality improvement, and global health practice and policy. So his wide perspective really give uh, uh, way to uh, the great work that he's up to at WiserCare. So it's with a true privilege that I welcome Dr. Thangavel to the podcast. Welcome, Arul. Thanks, all. I appreciate it. Hey, absolutely. And anything that I missed in that intro that you want to share with the listeners? No, I think that's a pretty good start. I've been with WiserCare now for about two and a half years full time, and I've uh, I've really enjoyed it. So I'm looking forward to to talking more about the uh, the experience. Awesome. So, what got you into the medical sector to begin with? It's an interesting question. I had a somewhat circuitous path to medicine. Uh, I didn't always want to be a doctor growing up. My dad's a doctor, and I was exposed to medicine early on, but I ended up thinking a little bit more about doing research. I, uh, once I finished undergrad, I, uh, I was doing uh, more research with the brain. And what was really interesting was to see, uh, was to work with the brain in a psychiatric population. Uh-huh. I found that in the psychiatric population, it was really interesting how uh, the medical system categorizes them as ill or not ill, and how that patient's agency in the system can differ depending upon uh, what the label is that's placed on their disease or multiple other factors. So that's kind of how I uh, got interested in medicine. I uh, ended up uh, going to med school a little bit later than most, but, uh, but still had a good time with it. Very cool. Very cool. I love your path and, and also your uh, interest in the, in the area of medicine that you chose. At Wiser Care, maybe you could share with us the hot topic that you guys are after and how you're approaching it. Sure. The WiserCare has a lot of different products and uh, solutions, but they're all really focused on on solving the main problem of how to uh, get the patient voice injected into every part of a patient-physician, patient-health system, patient-payer relationship. It's really patient-centered medicine at its core. So the problem that we're trying to solve is patients carry around this great deal of expertise in what their own individual informed structured preferences are. But they don't really have a good way to uh, let the healthcare system know, to let a payer know, to let their doctor know what they actually care about, especially when it comes to a specific medical decision or some decision down the line. For example, if you were very sick later on, you may have very specific preferences about that medical situation, but you might not have a conduit by which to tell the folks who are actually going to be involved in your care. We know that when a patient's voice is taken into account, 
in a medical decision. This is called shared decision-making when that happens. There's a great benefit. Uh, costs are lower for everybody. Care is better aligned to a patient's wishes and satisfaction is higher for not just the patient, but for the provider as well. Uh, and we've done this since the 1950s, really, since uh, the cardinal research and shared decision-making was done. But the real difficulty has been in the implementation. How do we systematically make the decision-making process better for patients? How do we get these informed preferences in front of the doctor without uh, relying on uh, dramatically increased visit times or uh, some sort of process that doesn't really uh, jive with a clinic's uh, workflow? So that's the main problem that we're solving at Wiser Care, trying to get these preferences first from a patient, you know, really showcase what they're expert in, but then deliver them to a uh, health system, uh, to a physician, to a payer in a way that uh, is actionable without uh, disrupting their workflow. Yeah, for sure. And, and back to the the idea that, hey, in healthcare, you really don't have to reinvent things. You just have to figure out how to implement them. So Dr. Thangavels and his team are doing just that with what they're doing at Wiser Care. Can you give us an example, a rule of, of how the uh, group you're with has improved outcomes or created better results by doing things differently? Yeah, sure. And, uh, you know, Salt, to dovetail on the comment that you just had, I think that's incredibly important for us to think through. It takes up to two decades for a medical, for a known medical good to actually be implemented and used across a patient population. Mm. And that's just simply too long. We can't wait around two decades for all of these benefits that we know are at our fingertips to actually be applied to a population. So what we do at Wiser Care is we operationalize this incorporation of patient preferences into a patient's medical care journey. He's on a lot of different uh, flavors. So in mm-hmm. some cases, that means we help a patient with decision-making around uh, early-stage prostate cancer. In other cases, it might be around what type of uh, colon cancer screening method to choose. And in other cases, it might be around advanced care planning, which is helping a patient express to their care team and to their loved ones what type of care they would want if they got very sick and were unable to speak for themselves. So we know that all of these intervention points are valuable intervention points. And when it's done well, there's good benefit. But what we work on at Wiser Care is taking that information, taking that known good and operationalizing it. And that operationalization looks different depending upon what health system you're at, whether you're a payer or if you are uh, simply a provider, a single provider in in a group who wants to do better practice. So we have a somewhat uh, kind of, um, uh, we have an approach to, to this implementation, but that implementation is really where we shine. Yeah, no, that's a it's a great call out. And and when we take a look at the opportunity that exists here to inject, as Dr. Thangavel mentioned, inject the patient's voice into the care process, scalability becomes an issue, right? And it just how do we spend that time without having to spend the time? And so um, it, it's it, with the increasing number of patients coming on board and number of doctors not growing at the same rate. It's important that we figure out scalability. So, so how are you guys doing this? Yeah, so the, uh, the, that's exactly uh, the lens by which we uh, approach the problem. Uh, we knew there was a good solution, but we knew mm-hmm. that that solution could not rely upon uh, increased provider time. It couldn't rely on, uh, on a workflow that really uh, disrupted clinic staff. So our, our founder, Dr. Chris Seigel, he spent years researching how to do shared decision-making in a way that was not disruptive to clinic and did not actually impact a provider's time in the actual clinical 
clinical appointments. It didn't increase clinical time, but still provided the benefits of shared decision-making. And the way that we do it is we deploy uh, a shared decision-making module, uh, which is really a decision-making model. It's a way for patients to understand what their preferences are, uh, incorporate those preferences into a specific decision, and then come to the doctor informed and ready to talk about how the different treatment options that exist for whichever illness they're struggling with, how those different treatment options drive with the patient's preferences themselves. We actually, all that information occurs before the clinic visit using an online tool that we've created. And from there, the output of the tool goes to the physician also. Uh, it's, a, it's a much smaller, uh, more curtailed version of the output that goes to a patient, which is much more exhaustive. But at the end of the day, the doctor and the patient start off their clinical encounter with a good understanding of what each other's uh, respective expertise is. Uh, so the patient starts uh, with their expertise in their own preferences, is able to tell the doctor about those preferences, and the doctor starts off with expertise in medicine and is able to apply that expertise to a patient's preference. Very cool. Very cool. And, and folks, just stop for a second and imagine that you walk into your doctor's office and prior to walking in there, your forms, you filled out a couple surveys that took maybe several minutes. I mean, how long do these take on, on, on the typical basis, Arun? Yeah, it kind of depends. There's for some of our shorter experiences, it can be as short as a few minutes. Uh, for some more extensive experiences, it can be as long as 20 minutes. It really depends on the decision that you're struggling with. Which isn't bad, right? So, so at the worst case scenario, you spend 20 minutes, let's just say half an hour, typing in some things that uh, have to do with you. And, and think about it this way. You go shop for a house. You're going to input the things that you want, things that you don't want. You put the filters on and then Zillow or Redfin sends you all the things that you like, right? So you just did that a fraction of the time that you spend looking at a house. And now you go in and you see your doctor and the doctor knows exactly like what you fear, what you wish you didn't have to do. Now it's a more tailored approach to you. I don't know about you all, but that's something I want. And honestly, something that should be, that isn't. And I give a lot of kudos to Dr. Thangavel and his team for really putting themselves out there and trying to make this happen because it's not easy. And definitely it's those things that aren't easy that make them worthwhile. So as you guys have uh, worked toward getting this solution to providers and, and payers' hands, what would you say one of the setbacks you've had and what you learned from it? I think in general, our implementations have worked well. Uh, one setback that we experienced early on was understanding that not every patient was interacting with our platform on a desktop computer or a laptop computer. There are a lot of folks out there with smartphones, mm. a lot of folks out there with tablets. So uh, luckily, we've invested about three years of infrastructure building into our platform. So we're able to uh, quite quickly make uh, changes to the presentation of our material to fit onto a smartphone and be optimized for that experience or to be optimized for a tablet. And now we routinely, uh, prospectively look at the type of usage we get from tablets, from phones, and from, uh, and from desktop, laptop computers. And we're able to uh, surface information in different ways for patients who have a specific preferred method of interacting with our tools. Love it. Yeah, I love the agility. And what would you say one of your proudest uh, leadership experiences has been to date there? 
You know, I think that the thing that I'm most proud of, uh, what we've done at Wiser Care, is our work in advanced care planning. So advanced care planning, again, is this methodology of getting patient preferences to the forefront when a patient is not able to make medical decisions for themselves. Uh, mm-hmm. It can result in an advanced directive, a healthcare power of attorney. There's lots of different outputs that come out of the process. But really, when you take a, a very structured approach to eliciting patient preferences around the end of life and serious illness, you get some really astounding answers. And uh, for me, as a practicing physician, whenever I encounter a patient uh, in the hospital, for example, who I just simply don't know, and if that patient's quite sick and can't really speak for themselves, it's kind of a black box. I'm forced to revert to using every type of medicine I have at my disposal, even if the patient doesn't necessarily want that. It's been really gratifying to take our advanced care planning tools and scale them across populations, uh, really trying to help those patients uh, have a voice, even if they don't have a voice, and uh, and illustrate to a doctor that, look, these are the types of medical interventions I would want. These are the principles I'd want followed. This is my quality of life, and this is what I want to retain in my quality of life. Those really important things that uh, kind of remove uh, or really take a patient from being a patient to being a human being that you're treating, it's just far too often that those that we, that we lose something in that translation. And it's mm-hmm. been really gratifying to be a part of that rehumanization of medicine. Love that. No, it's definitely key. I've talked to my wife about these particular things, and I actually, uh, Arul, I, I read, uh, you know, Atul Gawande's On Being Mortal. And once I finished reading it, I, I sat with my wife. I'm like, wow, I guess we should talk about this, you know. And we started talking about these things that, that when we get to the end, do you want to die at home? Like, when should we pull the plug if we have to? And so these are the, the crucial conversations that I think can help people get into care, get what they want. And then the thing that he mentions in his book is how it's affecting physicians. And so maybe you could touch on that. Like what have you seen has been the biggest impact for physicians with the use of this uh, end of life type of planning? It's a great question, Saul. And I, I applaud you for taking the time to talk with your wife about these important issues. Across the country, uh, only 30 to 40% of patients have actually even thought about this and started down that pathway. So we definitely have to increase that number. It should be close to 100% of folks are really talking about this. But yeah, on the provider side, there is moral distress when you are treating a patient who uh, you don't think wanted the type of care that you're giving them. Uh, mm. Our systems are set up for default care. Our systems are set up to do CP are to intubate patients, to take them to the ICU. And patients don't always want that. We know that 80% of patients want to die at home, but only 20% of patients do. And just think about that stat for a second, right? That means that 80%, 60% of patients who actually wanted to die at home end up dying in the ICU, in the hospital, hooked up to machines, not at all what they thought that their last days were going to be like. And that provides a lot of moral distress for providers. Uh, Why should we be taking patients to the ICU if that's not what they want? So what we've seen in our uh, our rollout of our advanced care planning tools is, so first off, all the content that we developed was developed from a multi-stakeholder group of folks, including patients patient uh, uh, readability experts, so uh, making sure that the information we're providing is actually, uh, can actually be read by a patient, understood by a patient, and physicians, uh, primary care physicians, palliative care physicians, hospital physicians. So we had this multi-stakeholder group convened to really go through all of this content and help us understand how to make this output as uh, useful as possible. And what's super fascinating is 
you know, if you look at the history of advanced care planning, it really rests on some of these uh, intense treatment decisions like CPR and intubation and maybe dialysis or a feeding tube. And we agree that those are very important treatment preferences to get when they exist. But what's been even more rewarding for the providers to see in our output are some of those uh, softer questions. Uh, for example, what gives you happiness and joy in life? How do you define your quality of life? What are the things today that you can do that you couldn't live without? Mm -hmm. uh, and those sorts of questions, once you start to answer them as a patient, you're giving your provider a full 360 degree view of your life and where you consider value to be in that life. And then it's not really about the specific treatments. I mean, it can be. If you really don't want CPR, you shouldn't get CPR. But there are so many treatments that you haven't expressed preferences for. For example, would you want a blood transfusion? Would you want chemotherapy? Would you want a specific type of antibiotic? And all of these other treatment decisions rest on your preferences, just like uh, there are preference aligned uh, decisions for prostate cancer or colon cancer screening, there are preference aligned treatment decisions for end-of-life care. So it's been really rewarding for providers to get that 360-degree view of a, of a patient and, again, you know, really rehumanize the patient in our medical system. Love that. Very insightful. Uh, you know, just not being a physician, uh, I'm, I just, you know, it was good to put myself in, in, in your shoes or in the shoes of a, of a provider. And, yeah, I mean, you do get that moral dilemma. Like, is this what they would want, you know? And you go home and you think about it, and it's something that you think about when, versus if you have a way of knowing how cool is that? And, and right. yeah, it's just so cool that that would even be an option. Right, right. And I really think it gets back to that default mode of care. I'm not sure everyone knows, if you're not intimately familiar with uh, being hospitalized, which most people aren't, you may not know that if you don't express any preference, you actually are expressing a preference. You're yeah. implicitly expressing a preference for all care. And mm -hmm. that may not be at all what you want. So as with any other industry, it really is buyer beware, and you should be careful. Make sure that you're getting the thing that, you're, that you want out of your medical care. Take that to heart, listeners. It is a great piece of advice. Tell us about an exciting project that you're working on today. Yeah, we're working on a lot of interesting uh, implementation of our uh, shared decision-making tools. Uh, we're actually just starting to uh, build a shared decision-making tool, a new one, with some colleagues at Northwestern. And this shared decision-making tool is for patients who have inflammatory bowel disease, specifically ulcerative colitis. So we got a grant uh, to do this work, and uh, it's really an academic implementation of one of our products. We have a lot of commercial implementations as well, which are more uh, focused on our existing products and getting them into uh, the hands of patients and uh, and healthcare teams. But it's always fun to create a to create a new experience from scratch. Yeah, that's exciting. Congratulations on that funding and uh, sounds like a really neat uh, niche to tackle. Yeah, yeah, it's very. I think it'll be very rewarding. If you find yourself uh, at Northwestern, I'm uh, I'm a couple minutes away from there. So give me a oh, shot. That's great. <laughs> yeah. 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 Time. Definitely. Yeah. We should meet up. <laughs> yeah. So getting close to the end here, Dr. Thangavel, let's pretend you and I are building a leadership course on what it takes to be successful in the business of healthcare in the patient side, uh, patient provider side. We've got a syllabus that we're going to do lightning round style. So I've got uh, five questions followed by a book that you recommend to the listeners. You ready? Sure, let's do it. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Yeah, I think the best way to improve healthcare outcomes is to listen to patients and design your care around what a patient wants. It's just like other industries where if you don't listen to your customer, then you'll have no way of understanding whether or not you're delivering value. So I think that's the first step. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? 
Well, along those same lines, I would say you shouldn't assume that you know what your patient wants. And mm -hmm. this is not just addressed to a specific physician, but also to a CMO or a CFO of a healthcare system. There's an implicit, you know, in medicine, we're trained to implicitly try to understand what a patient would want and deliver that to them because that's just simply how we were trained. We have right. uh, X amount of time with patients and we have to try to get everything done in as quick a way as possible, but also in as efficient a way as possible while delivering some good quality care. But it turns out that if you actually delve into what patients want, there's a lot of variation there. So uh, you might understand what your patients want on a population level, but applying that to the individual is not necessarily always beneficial to that person. So really listen to each individual person, deliver that person individualized care. Great one. How do you stay relevant despite constant change? I think that the best way to stay relevant is to continue to keep an open ear for all of those points of feedback that you get. At Wiser Care, we get a lot of feedback from patients. We get a lot of feedback from providers. And you know, a lot of it's positive, but it's not always positive. And when we see those opportunities for improvement, they're really like little jewels. You know, We just really mm -hmm. take them and we try to do the best we can with them to improve the patient-provider experience. So we've had a lot of success in not dismissing any sort of feedback and really incorporating it all in order to make a better product. Love that response. And listeners, I'd also add to keep your ears open, but also keep a journal or some log, an official log where you keep all these things because the ideas that you get today may not be as relevant today as they're, they're going to be a year from now. So there's nothing more powerful than an idea that has met the right time. So take Dr. Thangavel's advice and also store those somewhere and reference them on a quarterly basis because they definitely will draw some great insights for you. What would you say an area of focus that drives everything in your organization is? I think, you know, we've talked about this a lot uh, in our time together. I really think it's the patient's voice. Mm -hmm. uh, we're just consistently focused on how to get that patient's voice magnified in the healthcare system. And what's really interesting is we're not the only people who really crave that patient's voice. Providers pay, uh, crave that voice health systems crave that voice and payers crave that voice because we all know that patients have a lot to tell us. But we just also all know that we're not, we're not that good at getting it using our current mechanisms. Love it. And finally, what's your number one success habit? You know, I exercise actually. If I don't exercise, I have too much excessive energy. So <laughs> I, uh, I, try to, uh, I try to go for a run every day. Um, and, uh, you know, it does, uh, I live in California. So uh, luckily the weather's mostly accommodating. The weather permits. Yeah, I definitely uh, enjoy getting into the gym. My minimum is at least three times a week and it definitely keeps the mind sharp. Definitely. definitely. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of studies to prove that actually. <laughs> I got to read some of those studies because I hear all the time. Dr. Thangavel, what book would you recommend to the listeners? Well, there's a lot of books out there around patient preferences and uh, shared decision-making. But you know what I would actually recommend to folks is this book that uh, is my favorite book, uh, which is not at all related to what we've been talking about. That's okay. But it's called A House for Mr. B. Swat. And uh, the author is B.S. Naipaul. He won okay. the Nobel Prize a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a great book. I was actually a literature major in, oh, no um, in college. So uh, yeah, I try to read fiction whenever I can. And this book is, uh, it's a great book. It's about an Indian family uh, that ends up in uh, Trinidad and uh, wow. their experiences kind of uh, living there and uh, kind of assimilating into the culture. So I highly I recommend that. It. 
Love that. Hey, there's a lot we could learn from the fabric of literature and uh, glad you recommended an off the beaten path book. It's good for us to take those off the beaten paths to get new ideas. Arul, this has been fun. I've really, I've really yeah, enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been great. <laughs> you guys are doing some great things. Before we conclude, I'd love if you could just share a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could get in touch with or follow you. Yeah, sure. Um, I think that as a closing thought, I would encourage anybody who's listening, you know, we're all patients at some point in our lives, mm -hmm. uh, whether we like it or not. And I would just encourage you to take some, to understand that you can have a lot more agency in the system than the system by default will give you. Uh, so if you take a proactive stance and you really try to inform your healthcare teams on what you care about, then your care can only get better. And trust me, your healthcare teams want to know it. Even if they don't know how to actually elicit it from you, they actually do want to know the results. So I'd encourage everybody to take that proactive stance in their healthcare. In order to get in touch with us, you can always go to www.wisercare.com. That's uh, wiser, W-I-S-E-R, care, C-A-R-E, dot com. And my name's Arul Thangavel. If you put in any sort of uh, comment in, uh, in any of the places on our website, then somebody in our team will get back to you. We're a small team. There's only eight of us, so it'll definitely get to me some, uh, <laughs> some way or another. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. Well, Arul, this has been a pleasure. And folks, take Dr. Thangavel's call to action. You know, take your care into your own hands. Be proactive. Chat about what you want so that you too could get wiser care for yourself. So, uh, Dr. Thangavel, I want to say a big thanks again for spending time with us. Thanks a lot, Saul. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.